Hello, and welcome back to It's a Wonderful Life, with me. It is currently 3.27 a.m. I've been up for a little over an hour now, and I'm supposed to be waking up in an hour to go to work. It's one of those nights I woke up, can't get back to sleep, so I figure I might as well record more. So I do need to jump back quite a bit, because I missed something from when I was little. I believe I was around four, and I had my first existential crisis. I remember freaking out and crying, and nobody could calm me down, so they just left me on the couch alone crying because I realized I was going to die someday. I think that's a little heavy for a four-year-old. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else has gone through that. I think it might be nice to know, so I don't know I was completely weird as a kid. So, anyways, back to where I left off. So, my parents separated, and I bounced around a lot. And my father lost the house, so I moved in with my mother in Round Lake. Now, this is one of those parts where... I said it's kind of like an unshaken Polaroid. Things get a little confusing about where and when I lived at times. But I moved in with my mother in Round Lake at her parents' house. My grandmother and my grandfather, of course. My good grandparents. These are the ones that were always nice to me. So... We had this little tiny bedroom. My mom slept in the bed. I slept on the floor. The only thing I can really remember from this point was we would stay up watching Nick at Night. And we'd watch like the original Superman show and Dragnet and Get Smart. You know, all those old like black and white shows and kind of became our nighttime ritual. But I don't really recall much else. I know I'd go to the lake a lot. And um, I'd fish a little bit. A lot of times I'd just sit there and look at things like the water, the reeds, the fish right off the little kind of cement dock thing they had. And at some point, I moved back with my father. My mom didn't want me to. And I don't even remember how long I stayed with him. Because I ended up moving back with my mother. In this place called Cohoes, New York. Which is a horrible, horrible, horrible little city. She had a tiny little apartment. One bedroom. I slept on the couch. Um, she had a boyfriend at the time, 
he was kind of kind of a dick. Like uh, at one point, I remember I was sitting in a kitchen chair I brought out because he was on the couch, and I'm trying to sit up, but I'm passing out, and I'm like, you know, hands, heads on my hands, I'm like slipping, almost falling off the chair because I keep falling asleep, but he won't get off the couch so I can lay down. And the whole plan was I was going to go to school there. You know, I did have some family that lived there. I hung out with my, one of my cousins a couple times. That's a part of the family I do not talk to. Uh, I can cover that later. I don't talk to most of my family. But the intention was I was going to go to school there. I didn't really want to. So I ended up moving back with my father again. You know, this is all pretty rapid. And I don't even remember where my father lived at this point in time. Like I said, things were so quick and bouncing around so much. That I don't remember where I stayed with my father. I don't remember if we had the apartment yet. I don't remember if I went back to school at that point. I just, just all kind of a haze, I guess. But at some point, I moved back with my mother again because I made her a deal. She went back to Mechanicville. I would move back with her because I kind, I, you know, I kind of knew Mechanicville. So she did, and we had an apartment. I had my own bedroom finally, which I never slept in. I had this little like fold-out foam chair that would convert into a bed, and I would sleep on the floor in the living room. I think I was getting used to sleeping on the floor a lot. So that's kind of where I slept. I actually had a water bed too, which is kind of kind of weird. I kind of remember us See, at one point we lived down near the river. And I was in school. And I made some friends. And my mom was still always sick in bed. Always sick. And I made a few friends, even though I was like the little outcast. Um... We had this little spot we'd hang out by the river. We'd have little fires. Um, I remember I had a chemistry kit I used to play with. That doesn't really have any relevance to the story, but I would always try and blow things up. So a little side note, those little chemistry kits don't give you enough to you know, make any mini explosions or anything. Uh, I remember at one point, I was out with my friends. But my mom told me to come home at a certain time. And I didn't want to. But I went home. It was the first time we had like... Like we sat down for dinner at the table. And I didn't want to. I wanted to play with my friends. And my mother got mad. And she threw a steak knife at the table. And it bounced across the table right at me. 
and I like jump up to get out of its way, and I'm like, oh, that's nice, you know, you're going to throw a knife at me now. And she freaked out, and she started crying and screaming at me. And At some point, we moved again, still in Mechanicville. We moved up near McDonald's. That's the apartment where I didn't sleep in my bed anymore. I slept on the floor with that foam fold-out chair I mentioned. Um, I went to school for about two years in Mechanicville. Me and my friends all hung out at what you know most schools would consider the loser table. At this point, I wasn't eating much anymore. I kind of started thinking I was fat all the time. I started getting like, you know, just not interested in anything, depressed. Like literally for lunch, I would get, I'd have a little like lunch bag and inside of it was uh, slices of ham, like deli meat for sandwiches, but it was like four slices rolled up and that was my whole lunch. We didn't have any money, so, I mean, I probably could have gotten free lunches, but I didn't want to be isolated anymore. So I just told my mom that's what I wanted for lunch. And it's kind of what I ate for, like, two years for lunches. My mom was a pretty good cook, so, you know, I had a decent dinner, I think. I really only remember her making pork chops. I think there was just so much going on in my head at the time that I don't remember much of it. I got bullied a lot. Me and my friends all got bullied a lot. We had these stairs out back. We actually called them the stairs of death. It went down this huge steep hill. There was like three or four flights to the stairs, just a straight run. And in the winter, it was awful because the stairs were icy, covered in snow half the time. You know, they'd go out and salt them and shovel them, but salt melts the snow makes water which makes ice and usually if you were in the loser club on your way down the stairs you got a snowball or ice ball to the back of the head and that it was never you know a fun thing at one point i was going down the stairs and one of the kids that hung out top of the stairs in what we always call like the cool kids said hi to me because he knew my brother and he recognized me and he basically told the other kids that like, you know, not to throw shit at me. There was a couple kids in that school that would try and start fights with our group all the time. Um my cat is scratching at something. So I pretty much had horrible clothes. I had this curl in my hair that would not go away. At this point in time, I had brown hair. I didn't mention this, but when I was born, I had blonde hair for years. Long blonde ringlets. Everybody told my mom to cut my hair because I looked like a girl. And she refused. When we ended up moving to Berlin, my hair darkened to brown. I don't know why. It just did. But, uh... You know, I got made fun of for like the hair and the clothes and it was like that Superman curl. It was always in the front of my hair. I could not get rid of it. 
At one point, I even bought, like, the most expensive, strongest hair gel I could find and would plaster the thing down, and it would still curl. So, no luck with that. So I stayed at this school for about two years, and I wish the cat would stop scratching. Are you done, cat? I hope that's not picking up all of that. <laughs> I think she just went to the bathroom and now she's scratching. The litter in the floor. She can never just scratch the litter. So, anyway, I made some pretty good friends. We had our little group. We'd go out for, like, bike rides and things like that and hang out by the river. And, um... One of my... One of those friends I still talk to occasionally. It's either my cat or a demon. I don't know. So... After those two years, I couldn't take that school anymore. It was one of those really big jock schools, and I didn't fit in. I didn't do sports. So I ended up moving back with my father. And now we had an apartment in Petersburg. I had my own bedroom, uh, my own bathroom. I had a door that went outside which was kind of blocked because I had this long plank of wood for like a shelf for my radio and my TV and everything. And my video games. I had a Sega Genesis at the time. My cats are fighting now. Sorry, I keep getting distracted by the animals. Um, so a lot of my time was spent in my bedroom playing video games, listening to music. And I started changing more. Can anything else make noise? By the way, my wake-up word for my Alexa is E-C-H-O. And it likes to wake up randomly anyway. You might have heard it in the other podcast. We always crack up because for no reason it wakes up. So when I was back with my father, I was going to school. I still had bad clothes. I had clothes that didn't fit. I had, you know, get teased because I had high water pants. So I was getting bullied in that school. Um, and, you know, I, like I said, I was starting to change. Like, uh, I was getting more and more depressed. I would come home from school. I'd go straight to my room. I would lay on the back of my couch, not on the couch or my bed. I had a futon. I would lay on the back of the couch and stare at the ceiling and pet my cat, whose name was Magic, a little black cat. And she would just lay on my chest and purr while I pet her, and I just stare at the ceiling, usually crying. Nobody ever checked on me, so nobody knew what I was going through. 
I was eating even less now. Uh, my father would make dinner. He would tell me dinner was ready. I would say, just leave the plate outside the door. And I would open up a door, pull the plate in, and say, for example, it was a pork chop and potatoes and corn or something. I would take like a bite or two of the pork chop and then slide the plate back outside. Whenever I, like if I was sitting up, you know, I was like 20 to 40 pounds underweight. I was almost, I was six foot at the time. I wasn't even almost, I was six foot. I weighed about 120. So you can do the math. But if I was sitting down, no matter how skinny I was, you know, you get that little fold in your stomach. I thought that meant I was fat. So I would eat less. And I wasn't sleeping. I would come home. I'd lay on the back of the couch. I would stare at the ceiling, petting my cat. Usually, you know, like I said, crying or my face hurting because I couldn't cry. And I would do that till about 4 in the morning when I passed out. So I could wake up at 6 in the morning to go to school the next day. Um, I started making some friends again at the loser table. You know, it was like three of us that would sit there and we would barely talk because we were all awkward. And, uh, I actually also got a Magic the Gathering. So, add to the, uh, dork points. Eventually, there was this girl and she started to get, you know, she was always with the cool kids. And then she got ostracized by the cool kids. For some reason, she came and she sat with us. And I started talking to her. And we actually became pretty good friends. And then I met her brother. And me and him became good friends. And I would start going up to their house to hang out. It didn't change how I felt inside. It kind of helped mask it. Um... They kept talking me into getting a haircut. Eventually, I let them give me a haircut. It was like shaved around the sides and the back, hair on top. And it was a cool haircut. <laughs> and I started to uh, get into different types of music. You remember when they used to have the mail-in CD clubs? And you would just make up a new name. And get 10 free CDs and make up a new name. And get 10 free CDs and make up a new name. And get 10 more free CDs. Everybody knows that scam. So I started ordering music. Sometimes based on just the cover. I saw Marilyn Manson's Portrait of an American Family. I'm like, that looks interesting. Let me get that. So I got that and other stuff like Typo negative, uh, food fight, food fighters, not food fighters. Um, so I started listening to like typo negative, Marilyn Manson, and Life of Agony, and Marilyn Manson just kind of struck a chord with me. I think because it kind of catered to the outsiders. But it was a, that was one of the first bands I ever listened to that gave me that tingle down my scalp and spine when the music kicked in. Because it was just so different than what I had been used to listening to. You know, I grew up listening to a lot of my father's music, so folk music. 
um, folk music, uh, things like Eric Clapton, the Beatles, uh, Van Morrison, um, the guy I always called the dirty hairy guy, uh, Billy, Billy Joel, I believe. But now I was finding my own music. And I was still kind of spiraling downwards, though. But when I first put on that Manson CD, I got that tingle in my scalp. I got so much energy. I was, like, jumping off the couch and jumping all over the place like a little lunatic. But even that wasn't really enough. You know, I was hating life. Not sleeping. Not eating. Uh, I was about to turn 15. And for my 15th birthday, my brother brought me to Albany, New York, to a club called QE2. If any of my friends are listening to this, they know the club. This was a good and bad changing point in my life. So I didn't know how to dress. I asked my brother, how, you know, what should I wear? And I was underage. I wasn't even supposed to be at the show. It was a 16-up show. He's like, well, you got to look older. So at some point, I was living with my mother. I saw this green and black tie-dyed shirt with, like, pot leaves and skulls on it. And I thought it would have been cool to have. It didn't help back in Mechanicsville. So I went to my first hardcore show. Uh, let me see if I can remember who played. Wartime Manor, uh, this kind of like hardcore rap band called uh, New School, another band called Step Up, there's a fourth band I can't remember, but we got to the club, my brother told me to just try and act cool to fit in, you know, it was him and his girlfriend, she was kind of like a hippie, she was always nice to me. So we get to the show. The first thing I notice, I think this used to be a, when I was told, it used to be a burger joint. So it had like these white pillars, like metal pillars on the sides of the door. And off to the right of QE2 was a chain link fence with a door. And that's where you went in to see the bands if you weren't old enough to drink. Because the front was now a bar. The first thing I noticed was on the white pillar there was a bloody handprint slapped against the wall and it streaked all the way down. And I was kind of freaked out. Like, what is that? And my brother said, oh, there was a night, uh, fight here last night. Like, uh-oh. So, you know, kind of like alarms going off in my head. Maybe this isn't a good, good idea. But it was like my 15th birthday present from my brother. Who, as you know from before, we never got along. So we get into the club. And it was just this whole new world. It was just tiny, like what you'd expect like a, a CD nightclub would be. The walls had chain link fences along the walls. Just for aesthetic purposes, it made it like, I guess, even seedier and darker and cool as hell. The place was mobbed. God, I think it fit like maybe 100 people. Maybe maybe two. I don't know if you squeezed everybody in. Which it was pretty much like that. 
my brother was already going to shows for a while now, so he knew everybody. He was introducing me to people. I looked so out of place, I'm sure. Um, he came up to me with the second part of my birthday present. Now, at this point in time, I never touched alcohol. I never touched a drug. I never even smoked a cigarette. And he comes over, and he's got three little white squares of paper. One for me, one for him, one for his girlfriend. And I'm like, well, what is this? He's like, don't worry, I'll like it. I'm like, well, what is it? He's like, it's acid. Like, I don't I don't know what acid is or does. He's like, you'll like it, trust me. And I'm like, no, no, I, I don't think I want to. So... Him and his girlfriend each put their tab on their tongue. Now I, I, you know, I want to fit in. So I'm like, well, what does it do? He's like, you'll, you'll, you'll like it. Trust me. I'm like, well, what do I do with it? He's like, just stick it on your tongue. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm like, I guess I'll try it. So I took the acid, stuck it on my tongue. Uh, it was white blotter. They were called Betty Boops. And I left that sucker on my tongue till it was falling apart because I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I actually asked him at one point, I'm like, it's mush, what do I do? He's like, just swallow it. I'm like, oh, okay. Now, to point out more about this club, if you don't know hardcore music, go on YouTube, look up Albany, New York, hardcore. Look up anything from like, you probably want to find around... 95, 94, 95, 96, 97, something from that generation. That's when I started going. It was very loud, very heavy, lots of screaming. Uh, I think I remember seeing a news clip about the hardcore scene, and they were talking to kids from the show, and they asked them what it was all about. And they were saying how it was a positive way to get out anger and frustration. Because there, you know, there was the mosh pit, there was heavy music, chain link fencing along the walls, there was zombies hanging from the ceilings from chains outside the boys' bathroom. There was a sculpture someone made stuck on the ceiling of all these bloody hands reaching down towards you. What a great place to drop acid for your first time, right? Strobe lights, fog machines... Pounding music, people in the pit swinging fists, throwing punches and kicks. And I fucking loved it. I was also out of my head. In between bands, now at the time it was like five bucks for four bands. You could never go wrong, you know. Even if the bands were bad, you still saw four bands live for five bucks. So in between sets for one of the band changes we went to the little convenience store right down the road a couple buildings down and my brother told me to get some orange juice because it will increase the strength of the acid I don't know if that's even a real thing but that's what he told me so I got orange juice and I was hungry you know they asked me if I was hungry I said yeah they said well grab something so I grabbed one of those buddy bars um, you know like the chocolate wafer with peanut butter things. So I did. I drank my orange juice. 
I hate my body bar. And I'm just standing there. And my body didn't exist anymore. Just my head. I'm standing outside the club. I'm just sitting there staring off. You know, my pupils are huge. I have no idea what the hell's going on. Um, my brother's girlfriend comes up to me and she's like, What's wrong? You look sad. And I said, I'm hungry. She said, Well, you just had your buddy bar, didn't you? And I said, Yeah, but I lost it. What do you mean you lost it? I saw you eat it. I'm like, I ate one. I lost the other. And she's like, she looks down and she looks at me. She's like, it's in your hand. <laughs> like, oh, and I got all happy again. I couldn't feel my hands. All I knew was my head. My head was the only thing that existed. I was just like a head floating around. So I ate my second buddy bar and I was happy again. <laughs> and uh, some, uh, one of the bands came out with demo tapes. They had like a briefcase full of cassettes. And they came up to me and uh, asked if I wanted a demo. And I wanted a demo. I really wanted a demo. Of course, you know, I'm high as a kite and someone's offering me something. I want one. So I'm like, how much? He said, a dollar. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take one. And he hands me the cassette and I hand him all my money. <laughs> I had no idea what the hell I was doing. I was so goddamn out of it. My brother's girlfriend's cracking up. The kid who sold me the tape knew what was going on with my face. He's cracking up. She takes the money from his hand, asks him how much it is, and gives him a dollar. He said, thank you, and he walked away. She gave me my money back. I stuffed it back in my pocket. I don't remember much else of what happened at that show. I know there was a homeless guy that lived up there. My brother pointed them out to me, and he was like at every show. And he would do anything you wanted for, like, money. So usually what he would do is if he wanted to earn some money from you, he would pick up a stick, and he would run out into the median and beat the shit out of the power box. And that's how he earned money. I actually got, I didn't really get to know him. I would say I got used to him as being a regular at shows later on. Because from then on, I started going to shows. But everybody looked out for him. I remember one time he was sleeping on the ground. And we just kind of formed our line to get into the show around him. And one of the bands came out with one of their shirts from the merch table. And, you know, they shook him awake gently. Just enough to wake him up so they could lift his head up and put their shirt under his head. So he had a pillow. And then someone saw the shirt and yanked it out from under him and his head hit the ground. And that kid almost got the shit kicked out of him. And the guy got his shirt back for a pillow. Uh, after that show, my brother said, my father was picking us up. My father had a two-seater car. So... He was driving, my brother was in the passenger seat, me and my brother's girlfriend were laying in the back, under the hatchback. He had a Mazda RX-7. My brother told me not to talk on the way home, so my father wouldn't know what was going on. I didn't shut the hell up. I was amazed at the stars, I was amazed at the music he had in the car, I couldn't stop talking about the show. I'm surprised my father didn't notice he said something like, oh, it sounds like you had a good time. And I said, yeah, I did. And, you know, 
and my brother's girlfriends are kind of laughing quietly. And she's like, Chris, you got to be quiet. And she was always nice to me, so I listened. So we get back home to the apartment. And my brother brings me down to some of his other friend's house. So I could smoke some pot. So they teach me how to use a bong. We're smoking pot. I believe the bong was made out of like a PVC pipe. And the top of it was like a tuna fish can used for the bullhead or something. I don't even remember. It was crazy. But we're smoking. And we leave. After a little bit. I don't even know what time it is now. You know, the show was like at 10. It's probably like 3 or 4 in the morning at this point. And he's like, so do you like smoking pot? Does it feel good? I'm like, I don't feel anything still. He's like, yeah, you're still too high. But from then on... Drugs. Drugs and shows. I got to know my brother's friends. Um, I started pinching weed from my father. He never knew about this till we were older. Because uh, I didn't know he... I wasn't supposed to know he smoked. He didn't know I smoked. So I figured if I pinched weed, he would think it was my brother. And I can get high. Unfortunately, it was all leaf. But it still got you high. Um, I started dressing more like the scene, you know, I was, I started wearing baggy jeans. Back then they didn't make Genkos. You didn't have baggy jeans. We had to buy size 60s and belt them all the way in. So there I am, you know, 120 pounds, size 60 jeans. I started getting like, you know, um, my father had a good job. So whenever I'd go to a show, I'd have some money. I started getting band shirts and. I was the only kid in my school dressed like that. And I was getting singled out a lot. Because this was a redneck school. Uh, I remember going to school one day. I was still going through depression really bad. So I'm sure the drugs did not help that at all. Uh, my English teacher came up to me. My English teacher was awesome. He was usually stoned. But we would sit in his class... And he loved Monty Python. So me and one of my friends would start quoting Monty Python. And he would start quoting it back. And we could pretty much kill the whole period without learning anything. And just go over the whole movie. But I was still just in constant pain inside. And I tried hiding it my best. This is when my face kind of became a mask. You know, I would smile and laugh at my friends. But other than that, I just looked sad. At one point, my English teacher came up to me. He said, hey, what's going on, Chris? I'm like, nothing, why? He said, you're the talk of the school today. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm instantly thinking, what did I do wrong? You know, he said, um, you're smiling today. Nobody's seen you smile before. And I'm like, oh, I think I just had a good night. And, uh, yeah, apparently... I smiled so little that the one time I was in school, every single person noticed it and started talking about it. It was around this point that the pain was too much, and I started cutting. Now, I, I wasn't just wearing hardcore clothes. I started dressing my own way. I was getting like... Um, you know, they finally started releasing Genkos. 
So I started getting baggy pants that actually fit my waist. Um, I would go to Hot Topic. And if you remember Hot Topic back in the day, the store was kind of split in two. One side was goth, one side was punk. It wasn't all the trendy shit it is these days. So I would go between both sides, picking out different things I wanted. I started wearing a lot of shorts with stockings underneath, usually black and purple striped or black and green striped. I was the typical, you know, freak-dressed kid. And I kind of mixed it with punk. I had like a wallet chain, ripped-up jeans, tied shut with chain, wore shorts and stockings, ripped-up shirts with fishnet under them. Uh, I started using the stockings and cutting them into armbands because at that point I was cutting and I kept it hidden under my armband. So I'd go to school, I'd come home, I'd sit in my room, just not wanting to be alive anymore. And when the pain got too much and I was shaking and crying, I would start cutting to get the inner pain out because... I'm guessing, you know, like physical pain helped mask the inner pain and also the adrenaline that would kick in when you cut would kind of push it away. And I got to the point where I went into my bathroom. I just had boxers on. I had cuts on my chest, cuts on my stomach, cuts on my right arm primarily, cuts on my shoulders. And the cuts were pretty deep at this point. And I was standing there looking in the mirror, blood running down me. And I got fucking scared. Because I looked at myself, and I didn't see me anymore. Like, I was looking straight into my eyes, and I didn't recognize who I saw. And it freaked the shit out of me. So... I should mention too that I was actually I was also bouncing around again at this point. I lived with my father, but I would go to my mother's on the weekend. She had an empty apartment because she had a boyfriend. She kept the apartment just for me for the weekends, so I would go there, and it would be just me. She never came by, so I would go there to see my friends that I had made in Mechanicville, and I introduced them to hardcore music. I introduced people in my school in Berlin to hardcore music. I had a pretty good group of friends. Like, you know, I can't say anything bad about my friends. I got along with, I started, I like, even though I was depressed, I was getting along with everybody. Except the rednecks. They fucking hated me. And a couple jacks. But I had a tight-knit group of friends. I kind of became like the, uh, uh, what's the word? Like the leader of the group without actually being the leader. Just wherever my locker was, they congregated. Uh, I was getting harassed by the hall monitor because he was super religious. I never locked my locker. People were afraid of me, so they didn't touch my stuff. The hall monitor would open my locker and fill my locker with religious pamphlets. He would follow me down the hall from the moment I walked into school to wait to see me take my coat off to see what shirt I was wearing, to see if it was offensive, and drag me to the office every single day. I know I'm kind of bouncing away from the depression cutting part. We'll get back to that. So one one time, I remember I got in trouble because I had a Marilyn Manson shirt that said sex is dead. 
and he dragged me to the office, and the dean of students, who fucking hated me, started lecturing me. Look, if I wanted my kids to come to this school and see the word sex, or something like that, <coughs> excuse me, he was saying something like, I wouldn't want my kid coming to the school and reading that on someone's shirt, you know, seeing the word sex, you know, when they're coming to the school and they're in sixth grade. And I said, well, Mr. Stead, we have sex ed class in sixth grade. So before they're even coming to the school, you're sending them their school schedule with the word sex on it. Oh, he was fucking pissed. But he made me tape up the word sex. You know, he stuck masking tape over the word. And the moment I got back to my locker, my friends came up and they wrote sex over the tape. And I got in trouble again. And I said, I can't control what they're doing. He's like, oh, so they just held you down and wrote that? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of an, I was an asshole, but I was never actually doing anything wrong. That kind of comes into play later too. So it was getting bad with the cutting. And um, I didn't recognize, recognize myself in the mirror. And the next day I went to the school therapist I said it right, the school therapist. And I told him what was going on. And he asked me how bad it was. So I slid my armband down. He's like, his face was just like cold. He just didn't know what to say now. He's like, we got to get you help. So they did. God, I think I'm missing a part here. I am. My friends who gave me the haircut. Me and my father didn't get along. We'd scream at each other all the time. Like I said, a lot of this is a haze. You know, just drugs, the depression, and everything. I was just, I couldn't focus. I couldn't think. I went to my friend's house to live because me and my father just screamed at each other all the time. The, the girl that sat with our group, and I met her and her brother, and I was hanging out with them a lot. And uh, yeah, I skipped a whole chunk. So their mother took me in. Their mother was awesome. I love their mother. Unfortunately, she's passed away now, which was only a couple years ago. It was really shitty because she was like an actual mother to me. Um, she was really religious, and I was very anti-religion, but she never once ever judged me for it. And that kind of, I don't know, it kind of meant a lot. Sorry, I'm kind of like getting emotional there. We would sit down, we would talk, we would discuss religion, never in a bad way. She never said I was wrong. She would listen to my thoughts on things. She would tell me her beliefs. And we did that a lot. And she started to, uh, she started getting me eating again. She started, like, uh, she would make dinner, and she would give me a little tiny piece of food, like a little piece of chicken, a little bit of vegetables, a little bit of potatoes. The one thing that comforted me always was ice cream. So she said, if you can eat what's on that plate, you can have some ice cream. And little by little, she increased the amount I was eating. Um, but also at that house, even though I was hanging out with, you know, the kids, 
it was uh, two older kids, two younger kids, uh, two girls, one older, then her brother, then this is an age order, then going down another girl and then another boy. I don't want to give out names, but I'm still in contact with the younger girl. She's a few years younger than me. She actually came up the past couple weekends I saw her, actually. Um, she came up with a new boyfriend. Uh, he invited me to Easter dinner at his parents' house. It was, it was nice. We didn't go. <laughs> but at that house was where I had my first complete, total mental breakdown. I was shaking. I was crying. Nobody could stop it. My friend ran to tell her mother, you know, they have to call my father. And the moment they left me, I ran looking for a knife. Um, my brother showed up, not my father, to bring me to the hospital. They admitted me into the psych ward when I was 16. That was my first time. This hospital was kind of kind of crazy. I was already dressing weird and stuff. I carried an Elmo doll with me. At one point, there was this old guy in a wheelchair. I don't know what he was in for. I think he had Alzheimer's or something. And they were trying to get medicine balance for him or something. I don't know. But he grabbed my arm so hard it would not let go. And I, and that guy, that guy was strong. I could not get away from him. He kept screaming at me, give me the baby Jesus. Give me baby Jesus. I had no idea what the hell he was talking about. He wanted my Elmo doll. So I gave it to him. You know, he was like crushing my arm. The nurses didn't stop it. So I gave him the goddamn Elmo. I followed him for about five minutes until he forgot what he was doing, set the Elmo down, and took it back. Here's where I found out I'm the center of the universe. There was a guy there. I cannot remember his name. I think it was Rob. I don't know this person personally, so that's all I know. He was the only person on the psych ward with shoelaces, so I assumed he was staff. He also knew I liked to draw, because we had talked a couple times, and he asked if I had drawn anything. And I said, no, I'm not allowed to have pencils or pens or anything. He's like, oh, hold on a second. And he comes back with a bunch of paper, colored pencils, pens. I'm like, oh, awesome, thank you. So again, I thought he was staff. I didn't catch on at this point that he never came into my room. We were not allowed in other patients' room. Big clue. <laughs> so the next day, after he got me the pencils and stuff, he asked if I was drawing. I said, yeah. So I showed him my drawings. He's like, oh, they're really good and stuff. He's like, I need to talk to you about something. I'm like, yeah, no problem. Still thinking he's staff. We went to the community room where you, when you had guests, you got to go there and sit. It was just across from my room. All the glass windows with the, like, chicken wire inside the glass so you couldn't break it. And we're sitting down. He's like, I got to talk to you about something important. Again, still thinking he's staff. I said, all right, what's up? 
He said, so here's the thing. He said, I might mix, I mix up these two every time I tell the story. He said that his grandfather was the god of thunder. He was the god of water. Now, those are the two I mix up. I can't remember which one was the god of which. And that me, I am the center of the universe. And he knows this because his grandfather's, of course, the god of thunder. He's, of course, the god of water. And he just knows I am the center of the universe. And he needs my help. They will not let him out of there. And now I know he is not staff. So I'm kind of freaked out a little bit at this point. And I said, okay, well, what can I do? He's like, I need you to use your powers to get me out of here. And I said, um, okay, I'll do what I can. I kind of just want to get away from him at this point. So he said, okay, thank you. He's like, I know you can do it. And then I went back to my room. The next day he was discharged. My social worker, this is a story not everybody knows, talked to me. Either that same day he was released or the day after. But she sat me down in the common room again. And she told me that the family I was staying with, where I had to break down, hated me. And I ruined their family. Uh, my friends hated me. And my family hated me and nobody wanted me back. This is, you know, the best advice you can give a suicidal teenager. So, I didn't know what to say. And then she said I had two options. Because they had to send me somewhere. I could go to a hospital in Saratoga. That was really nice. Or I could go to a hospital in Vermont. It's got a chain link fence and barbed wire. And it just depended on how good I acted. So, I went to the hospital in Saratoga. I was terrified of that other one. Um, at that hospital, I was put into the wing with the teenagers, even though I was a little bit older. Probably like a year or two older. But the wing that had my age group was mainly drug addiction. So they figured I would fit better with the other kids that were going through similar mental health problems. So while I was there, I changed more. Um, I got some colored pens. I used a black pen to give myself eyeliner. I think I used a blue pen for lipstick. I wanted my lip pierced. I didn't want to wait. I also had braces. I never mentioned that. So, I, uh, one of the kids had an earring. And it was one of those, like, thin, thin, thin wire earrings. It's just a loop of wire with a little hook on the end. And you kind of put it through your ear and you just clip it into the hook. And it could get straighten it right out because it was just a piece of wire. So I took that to my bathroom. I cleaned it with some soap and water. As good as I guess you can disinfect something with soap and water. Although this was hospital soap, so I might have been disinfecting soap. And I tried shoving it through my lip. It did not want to go. I pushed and I pushed and I pushed. And I eventually popped it through the outside layer of skin. 
and I pulled my lip out and I'm pushing and it just would not go through the inside. So I started rubbing it back and forth on my braces until I cut through and I gave myself my first lip read. I was brought into the kitchen. It was movie night. They took me out of movie night, brought me to the kitchen, sat me down to talk to me. First thing they asked is if I was confused about my sexual identity. I said, no. Why? She's like, well, are you, what do you, are you straight? Are you gay? I'm like, I am straight. Why? Well, because you're wearing makeup. Yeah. That don't mean anything. No, I had eyeliner on, basically, <laughs> with a pen. And then she talked to me about my piercing. She's like, you know, you can't do that. I'm like, why not? I did it. Well, you can't do that. Like, but I did. You got to take it out. I'm like, I don't want to take it out. I like it. No, you got to take it out. I don't want to. Well, what if it gets infected? I'm like, then it gets infected. You could die from the infection. I'm like, yeah. She's like, you just don't care about anything, do you? I'm like, that's kind of why I'm here. And I had to take my lip ring out. I also had this roommate. Well, while I was there, my grandfather passed away. My good grandfather. And they did not want to let me go to the wake. Or the funeral, I should say, not the wake. Because I was only in for a few days at that point. My mom fought with them. Eventually got me a day pass. And I got to go to the funeral. And uh, say goodbye to my grandfather. Now, normally death doesn't affect me. So even at that point in time, it was just like another day to me. And I went. I said goodbye to my grandfather. See, now it bothers me because I miss my grandparents. So I went back to the hospital. Um, my roommate, who I didn't really get along with, asked me what I did that day. And I told him I had to go to my grandfather's funeral. And then I think I had a phone call. I think I went to my mother. And when I went back to my room, he's like, oh, you had a phone call? I said, yeah, my mom. He's like, oh, so you could talk about your dead grandfather some more? And that was fucking it. I snapped at the kid. He came over and got my face. Now, this kid was like a foot shorter than me. And he kept telling people I was like this huge martial arts master. Something crazy like that. We ended up finding out that he was in there because um, when he was going through puberty, his body wasn't maturing and he wasn't maturing. So he got in my face. I stood up. He wouldn't back down. He started mouthing off more and more and more. I grabbed him by his throat. I picked him up off the floor carried him across the room, jumped and pinned him on his bed and was choking him. Now, if you know me, and from the stories I've said, I've never been violent. So he just pushed me so goddamn far. I let go. I didn't hurt him. I went out to the nurses. I said, you got to get me out of that room. I can't be with that kid. 
and I explained the situation. Like, oh, well, maybe you guys can sit down and talk and work it out. I said, there's no talking. Uh, they couldn't give me a room yet. So that night I was in the, uh, essentially the padded room, but it wasn't padded because I was freaking out. When I was in there, I was just banging my hand as hard as I could against the side of the bed. I had a huge bruise on my hand. I just couldn't calm down. They eventually got me another room with uh, this other kid who was in there for supposedly smoking weed too much. And we had a bit too much fun in that room. At one point, I took a towel and I slipped it over the track lighting track. There was no track lighting in there because some kid tried hanging himself with a wire. So I said, well, if there's no track lighting, we don't need the track. I slipped the towel up behind it, grabbed both ends of the towel, jumped off the bed, and ripped it down. We ended up breaking a rocking chair we had, throwing the leg through the wall. Uh, we took a butter knife and we tried getting the screws out of the window so we could go outside. I had an electric razor. I hadn't shaved in forever, and they had to get it checked by an electrician before we were allowed to have any electronics in our room. But I kept telling him, I need to shave, I need to shave, I need to shave. And I don't want somebody sitting there in the bathroom with me. Because, you know, I was basically anorexic. I had a body image issue. So I didn't want someone sitting there while I was shaving watching me. So they finally gave me my electric razor without getting it checked. Now, I knew it worked fine. I had it for a while. My grandfather actually gave it to me. But we decided to play with it. So we pulled the plug out. You know, it plugged into the bottom for charging it. And we went into the bathroom, filled the sink with water, plugged the cord into the wall, and then dropped the other end in the water. And nothing happened. We thought it would be like the movie, sparks flying everywhere. Nothing happened. So I bring my hand down backwards and tap my knuckles to the water. Because I was told by my father, he's an electrician, if you're ever doing anything with electricity, touch it with the back of your hand. That way if you get shocked, your muscles contract, your hand pulls away. So that's what I'm doing. Tapping it with the back of my hand. Nothing's happening. So then I just reach in the goddamn sink. I grab it. I'm shaking the plug all over. Nothing's happening. So we drain the sink. We pull the plug out. We rip the end off. Get the wires exposed. We go into the bedroom. We start splashing wire on the expo uh, water on the exposed wire. Nothing's happening. Like, Maybe this outlet's dead. So I reach down. I touch the two wires together. And there was a huge flash and smoke bellowed from the wall. Fire alarm's going off. They're running in, freaking out. They have no idea what's going on. We were panicking. <laughs> we threw the razor across the room. We ripped the wire out of the wall. We threw that across the room. And they're freaking out. You know, they bring us all outside. Like, well, what happened? What happened? And I said, I don't know. I went to use my electric razor. And the, it just started to smell like plastic. And there was a huge spark. And he said, well, I was kind of using the whole, you guys didn't check this against them. That's why I wouldn't get in deep shit for, you know, essentially possibly burning down the, uh, the wing I was in. Each wing was a separate building. So uh, they said, well, why was the wire in the bedroom and not the bathroom for shaving? Because when it smoked, it freaked out. I ripped it out of the wall and just threw it across the room. Thankfully, they believed the story. 
because they weren't very nice when things like that happened. Like one time this kid came, it was like his second day there, and they had rollerblades and hockey sticks in the corridor leaving the our little unit. And he picked up a hockey stick, and he was just kind of in the parking lot smacking rocks. No bad intentions or anything. And he went to do uh, one of those shots where you hit the rock really high, or the puck, essentially, if you're playing hockey. And he ended up blowing out the back window of an explorer of an employee. Completely accidental. They brought him in to the back area that we didn't normally see. And then they carried him out, essentially hogtied. Like, it was an accident. <laughs> but they acted like he snapped. So I am going to leave it at that at this point. Because I'm supposed to be waking up in three minutes for work. Which, I'm awake. It's going to be a crappy day, I guess. But I will leave it at that part for this chapter. And, you know, if you've been following along, thank you. If you find my story shitty and boring, it's alright too. I kind of find it shitty and boring. I'm only doing this because other people said, you have an interesting story. You have a story to tell. You might be able to help people. I promise it gets better, and we'll get there maybe in another chapter or two. And then the second part will be all the, the other stuff in my life. And I will talk to you all again very soon.